Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Hits Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and as always, we've got a great show for you this evening. We're going to start things off here in just a moment uh, with a great panel discussion here on Coach's Corner segment. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined once again by a very special guest, um, the president of the Golf Heritage Society, Dr. Bern Bernacki. He'll be joining me once again uh, on the program a little bit later on, so I hope you'll stick around. I've got a lot of interesting things to talk about with him. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about some very interesting things here on the panel uh, discussion, but let me introduce the guys and we'll bring them out and get into this evening's discussion on Coach's Corner. First up is uh, John Decker. He's the Director of Instruction at Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he's also a Senior Editor and Top 25 Instructor for Golf Tips Magazine and a former Head uh, Instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando. He was also the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year and is author of Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which of course includes an accompanying Bible study. And he's also available for uh, public speaking, so you can hear more about that uh, a little bit later on. He'll give you all the details of how to reach out to him if you're interested in that. Uh, also uh, joining on the panel tonight is Jim Endicott. He's been teaching this great game of golf for over 38 years. He's a former Golf Digest School's general manager and a seven-time PGA Award winner, including the 2022 North Florida PGA Section Patriot Award and two North Florida PGA Youth Development Awards. Uh, he's currently the Director of Instruction at the Royal St. Cloud Golf Links in St. Cloud, Florida. And he's also a top 25 instructor and contributor to Golf Tips Magazine. So, John and Jim, welcome to tonight's Coach's Corner panel. Thank you, Thank Ted. Thank you, Ted. It's great to be here. All right. appreciate it. So, we're going to get into uh, a couple of different areas. We'll do uh, talk about maybe some troubleshooting areas that uh, get you guys to help some folks with. And then um, we're also going to talk about really some, I guess, some life lessons that we can take away from the golf course and maybe even a little vice versa. So um, I think that, you know, I've said this many, many times on the show over the years that I think there's so many valuable life lessons that you can learn um, from playing golf. Um, and I know we do as teaching professionals, we uh, get to work with a variety of different uh, students of, of all different levels. So there's always some great opportunities for us to learn from them as well. Uh, as well as teaching them uh, how to play this great game. And I think one of the things, and, and John, I, I'm going to come to you, uh, you know, since we're starting things off in order. Um, one of the ones I think is, is honesty and integrity. And I think this more so than really any other sport out there, golf has really um, amplified this uh, in, in its um, roots, if you will, is there, and there's a couple of reasons. Obviously, 
um, we're sort of a self-governing um, uh, sport, if you will. You know, when you're out in the golf course, unlike many other sports, you don't have referees and you don't have a committee out there sort of monitoring uh, to the same degree with the other sports. So really what can somebody learn from this game about really uh, more uh, having more integrity and, and obviously uh, improve, the, uh, I guess, the level of honesty that the person is? What is it about the game that keeps, keeps us honest? Well, Ted, uh, this is a great, great question. First of all, thank you for having us on the show. And, Jim, I'm looking forward to being on with you tonight. Uh, when, when you think of honesty and integrity in, in the game of golf, I mean, uh, you're, you're right. You're, it is a game where you know deep down in your soul um, usually. Um, and there's a few cases in, where you could commit a penalty or do something wrong that you didn't realize uh, was maybe not a penalty or, or you did something you didn't, for example, maybe grounding your club in the, the bunker by accident or something like that. But uh, all in all, in the game of golf, we, you know, you, you, you want to um, police uh, your group when, when you're out there, you're playing with a group and a foursome. And so uh, it's up to each person to make sure and protect the field and make sure that the people that they're playing with are, uh, you know, adhering to the rules. But there's the, the inside we all know and if you know the rules of golf and you've played it long enough, um, you know you know whether you are following the rules or not. Simply moving your ball in the rough if you've got a bad lie or counting every shot or making sure, you know, not giving yourself a, a two-inch putt and actually tapping the ball in and having it go in the hole. Those are things that, um, um, you know, I think are great examples of, of um, you know, in the game and being able to pass on, you know, to life lessons, is especially when I'm working with junior golfers, you know, that's one of the things that we talk about is that, you know, you've, you've got the ball must be holed out. That's a real simple thing. And so uh, not, not just giving ourselves a putt and things like that. Those are, those are some examples. There's, there's so many examples when it comes to right. honesty and integrity of the game. But I think back to one time when I was watching uh, the Ryder Cup and I was watching Davis Love and Davis Love hit a ball, and he had a horrible lie in the rough, and it was on the last hole. And um, the the um, he was actually uh, in a situation where if he when he took his stance, he was uh, could possibly stand on a sprinkler head, which would allow would have allowed him by the rules of golf if he was standing on the sprinkler head to actually get relief and uh, take a drop. And um, and he took his normal stance. And his foot was within a half inch of the sprinkler head. And I remember Roger Maltby, who was covering it, saying, you know, there's a lot of guys that would have stood on that sprinkler head and said this, you know, this is my stance because you're, you know, he was with the referee. But he was with the referee, and he, and he said, no, uh, here's my normal stance. And it was not uh, – his normal stance was not putting him in a situation where he was standing on the sprinkler head. And he had to play it out of that horrible lie and ended up uh, mm-hmm. losing the hole. That's an example right there that he knew in his heart. Had, I, 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 I can only imagine what he was going through, but he knew, Davis Love knew in his heart that if he had essentially cheated and said, no, this is where my normal stance is, and gotten relief and gotten a good lie and hit a really good shot, he would have had to have lived with that for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things, and that, you know, you're talking about the, the, one of the most pressure-packed uh, situations you can be in in tournament golf. And so Roger Maltby actually said there's a lot of guys that would have, would have uh, you know, taken right. 
taking their liberties there with that. So those are great uh, examples. There's a thousand more of them, but uh, but great question and and uh, something that uh, we all try to strive for when we're on the golf course. To be honest and know that our score that we're putting on the scorecard is the actual score that we got. Yeah, and you couldn't have uh, really come up with a better uh, person to, to use an example. You know, I've always had a lot of respect for Davis Love, um, you know, as a player, but uh, and not just because of his physical abilities, but just his integrity out in the golf course. He was always somebody I really enjoyed watching um, and, and really envied uh, how he conducted himself. Uh, he, he was definitely um, was one of the, the good ones that I, I watched over the years uh, as he, um, you know, went up the ladder on, on the PGA Tour. And, you know, I think it's sort of, dialing back a little bit about really what I'm getting at here is, you know, there are so many chimes and and that's a good example of, of where somebody took uh, a a better route because he could have very easily gone the other way and said, yeah, this is how I take my stance and, and gotten that relief. But he obviously had integrity. He knew that that was not uh, for him anyways, was not right. Uh, And that's not to say that if somebody else did something different that necessarily they were cheating, but, uh, again, he believed in uh, this is the game, this is an unfortunate situation, and, you know, if, if there is legitimate relief that I can take, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to, you know, sort of push the, the, the boundaries here. And, you know, when you factor in what these guys play with, you know, the amount of money, even back then, what they're playing for, I agree with you, it's very uh, easy for somebody to, to take uh, a liberty where maybe they, they need not to. But this, this goes to the integrity of, of the golfer, um, you know, if they're if they're willing to um, push the boundary um, and 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 skirt that that line, if you will, in their golf game, then you can bet that they're more than likely going to do that out in real life as well. And that tells you a lot. I've seen a lot of people really push those boundaries on a golf course, and it tells you a lot about the individual in in their real life, what they're like. And uh, so I think that's uh, that's a great uh, great example that you used, John. Thank you. Um, Jim, we're going to hit another one, and this is one I, I really like as well, and, and that is really learning to accept the uncontrollable. And what I mean by that is we often find ourselves uh, both on the course and even in life with some very difficult times, uh, things or situations occur, particularly on the golf course, uh, making you know sometimes play extremely difficult. Um, you know, as an example, maybe you've hit a shot that you felt was was perfect, but the result was awful. So sometimes things are uncontrollable but it's how we deal with those situations that really uh, sort of uh, – so maybe give us an example if you want or talk about that as well because we know it's going to happen. Uh, it happens to even the best of the players. But, again, this is something that how we handle ourselves on the golf course uh, during these difficult times uh, can, again, come out through, through life as well. So um, have at it. Yes, thank you, Ted. And, John, great to be on with you as well, and uh, appreciate you having me here, Ted. Uh, yes, when you play in this uh, this game, the ball bounces uh, so many different ways. I've uh, seen so often where uh, we hit a shot, and and as you described, you feel like it's well, that's just perfect, and it uh, it hits something and it bounds off into the water or uh, out of bounds or whatever the case may be, and uh, we just have to accept that and 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 realize that we did what we can, uh, we did our best to hit that shot where we wanted, and there was something there that said, no, it's not going to be what we want uh, based on where it landed. But on the flip side, 
there are times when uh, when we hit a shot and it's uh, it's it's not exactly what we want, and uh, and it bounces the correct way. I think of mm-hmm. uh, just at the U.S. Open uh, this last year, um, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, he mm-hmm. he hit a shot on I believe it was the 16th hole, and uh, he holed it out from the fairway. And the interesting thing was at the interview, he commented that he had pulled the shot some 10 yards offline, and yet it went in. So mm-hmm. golf is, is is so great in that it gives it 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 takes, but it also gives back. And uh, we can learn that that life does the same. Sometimes you you're you're going down a path, and you think you're you're traveling the right direction, and something bounces you another way, and and says this is a better opportunity for you, and uh, and and you follow that path, and and it works out the best for you. So uh, golf and life uh, are are very similar, and 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 parallel each other so much. Uh, good happens, uh, not good happens, and uh, we have to accept them both, and uh, and learn from both, uh, regardless of what the result is there's a learning opportunity uh, to be had. So uh, we can control what we can control, and there's things we cannot control. And what we can control of the uncontrollable is how we react to it, what we learn from it, and how we're going to proceed moving forward. Yeah, uh, well said, uh, Jim. And, and, you know, uh, it's, you know, we often hear that expression, you know, uh, Bob got a, you know, got a, uh, a member's bounce on that shot. You know, he had a good shot going or maybe a bad shot going on there and ended up getting a good result because it, um, you know, it, he was a member and it, it got that uh, favorable bounce. Um, but that's not always going to happen. And I think you hit a key point is how we react um, and, and accept uh, those times when we cannot control. And, and again, certainly there are things that you can control, um, but there are times when you can't. And I think that really makes is what makes golf so interesting because you never know uh, again you can hit a pure shot and it can be going right down the middle of the fairway and maybe it ricochets off a sprinkler head and takes a bad bounce somewhere or or whatever the case is and ends up in uh, a, a more difficult situation so you never know what you get and if you can accept that and learn to control the things you can and um, accept the things that you can't and learn from it. There's always, a, I think, a learning uh, opportunity when you're out in the golf course, and I think that's something that you can also take out into life as well. Um, um, great, uh, great points, uh, Jim. Thank you. Um, John, back to you on this one. And, uh, you, know, you know, who would have ever thought that prob- problem solving is a skill that you can learn in golf? But um, whether you're finding yourself trying to manipulate your way around the course on a windy day uh, or maybe the, the golf course is riddled with bunkers and you need to plot out some sort of strategy, um, you've, you've got to de- learn to develop and become a good problem solver because you're going to, as we just pointed out, you're going to be faced with a lot of difficult times. So what are some tips that maybe you can give on how we can do that and, and uh, become a little bit more intuitive but also a little bit better at handling whatever situation we may be faced with? How can we... Um, because, again, we're never going to know sometimes if we get a favorable bounce or not. But problem-solving is a skill that can be certainly learned on the golf course. What are some examples that maybe you can think of that uh, that might be, might be able to be applied? 
Well, the first thing I do when it comes to problem solving is I always want to have a plan B. Um, you can't go into a round of golf uh, expecting every shot to be perfect, every bounce to be good, and every hole to be played well. So there's times when I go out there and when, I, when I'm playing a practice round before a tournament, you know, I'll go through and, and look at every hole and I'll say, here's what I want to try to do on this hole. But here's my plan B. My plan B might be, you know, one day I, rem- I played a tournament recently uh, this summer, and when I got there to play the practice round, the hole was, uh, was downwind. And so I hit a hybrid off the tee because I had, it was a really tight fairway, and I, and I hit a really nice shot and said, okay, that's the club I'm going to play. Well, the next day, the wind totally switched, and it was right in my face, and I knew I couldn't hit the hybrid because I, I would have a very long iron into uh, a green that was, you know, was covered with, there was water in front of the green, and I knew that that wouldn't be ideal, so I knew that I was going to have to hit my driver. So th- those are situations where you make those adjustments. Other situations are, you know, in plan B would be when I maybe – struggling with my driver off the tee is I'll go to my hybrid or I'll go to my three wood, depending on which, you know, having that, that club, that, that go-to club that you can kind of fall back on. Uh, you know, good players always have that. Jack Nicklaus had the one iron. And, you know, when he got on golf, when he got on a hole that didn't fit his eye or if he was struggling, and I've heard many stories about, in fact, Bob Rotella talks about this in his book, Golf is Not a Game of Perfect, where Nicklaus hit a bad drive on the first hole and put his driver away and hit one irons and three woods the entire uh, the other 17 holes and won the tournament. And he just didn't feel like he had his driver swing that day and he put it away. Those are making those. That's an example of the greatest you know tournament player to to ever play the game having the patience and the discipline to not try to force something that he knew wasn't there. And and, and golf is so funny because one day you you've got your swing and the next day you don't. And then the, the last thing about problem solving is is having a good short game. You know, a short ga- your short game is like the uh, – uh, I always use the analogy with, about football teams. If you have a good defense in football, you're going to be in every single game that you play in. Uh, if you don't have a good defense, you're going to have to rely str- strictly on your offense. So when I go into a tournament, I want my short game to be razor sharp. And I know that if I have a good short game, I'm going to score well when I'm playing well. But when I'm not playing well, I'm going to hold my score in and not have big numbers, stay away from doubles and triple bogeys. So those are examples that I can think of off the top of my head uh, when it comes to problem solving that I think, uh, you know, are are great examples in the physical realm. And then in the mental realm, it's basically having every hole played out in your mind before you play the the golf, before you play a hole, especially if you're playing the same golf course over and over again is knowing, okay, this is where I want to go. This is what I'm trying to do. But when I get out there on the golf course and I'm not in the position I need to be in, maybe I'm not in position A, knowing where the bailout areas are, knowing where the layup areas are, things like that, those are examples of mentally being sharp as well. So golf is more than a physical sport. It's a mental side. And a lot of times you can really save a lot of shots if you're thinking well, if you're making good decisions. And I've always said the most important decision that you're going to ever make in golf is the decision that you make after you hit a poor shot. When you hit a poor shot, getting the ball back into play and being smart. Those are examples of mentally being strong, not trying to force the issue and not running up your score. Uh, Again, well said, John. Uh, Some great points. And 
and exactly right. You've got to be, um, you've got to develop, uh, and, and it is a skill, uh, and it takes time. You know, some people may be naturally uh, good problem solvers in their personal life and are able to translate that onto the golf course, and that's fantastic. Uh, but not everybody uh, has, you know, developed that skill very early on, and it's something that takes time and, and obviously a lot of practice doing. But once you do, uh, and you're faced with uh, a variety of different uh, situations, um, those problem-solving skills are going to, you know, be tapped into and are going to serve you very well as you, uh, again, navigate uh, the golf course. So, so great points. Um, Jim, back to you. You know, one of the things that we also need to do is creating and holding focus. Um, you've got to be a very focused person uh, if you want to improve in, in, in golf. Um, you know, this term multitasking gets thrown around quite a bit, but the truth of the matter is, it takes an extreme amount of, of mental and emotional concentration uh, to be able to last for 18 holes. You're out there, you know, anywhere from three and a half to, to five hours, depending on how you're playing or where. Um, and, you know, this is a, another, I guess, skill, if you will, um, that you want to be able to develop. Uh, and there's a number of things that we want to be focused on We're out there. Um, maybe you can touch on a few of them here. Yes. Uh, you know, I think uh, focus and problem solving kind of go hand in hand. Uh, we have to have an attention to the problem so that we we can solve it, but we have to be focused on our objective, which is going through our process on each and every shot so that we can put our best foot forward and execute uh, in the best manner we can. Uh, and so focus comes down to uh, having a routine of here's what I'm going to do for every shot. And and if I'm engaged in the shot, I don't have to be engaged between the shots. And so having that kind of, let's call it the rest period in between shots gives us a chance to have our laser focus when we're in the shot. And so uh, I'll give an example of myself. I was out uh, playing golf with uh, several of my high school players and as you said, some days we don't have it. Uh, John, you said sometimes our golf swing isn't working. Well, it wasn't working that day. And uh, I'm on a par five hole. It was about 525 yards. And, and I, I topped the ball off the tee, and it rolled uh, barely past the teeing ground. And uh, as I got to my ball, the very first thing I did was I grabbed my range finder, and I looked for my yardage. Well, the players that I was playing with, they all kind of laughed at me. What What are you doing? There is no way you're going to get to the green. I said, I know, but I'm going to give myself a plan to get there the most efficient manner. And so I stayed in my process, stayed in my focus, if you will, uh, regardless of whether I had 400 yards to the green or I had 40 yards to the green. And so – it, it helps you to eliminate uh, what had just happened in terms of hitting a poor shot. Uh, and I'm happy to say I went on and made par on the hole. Uh, and it really taught them a lesson of the importance of staying in that process and not being concerned with the result of, of either the hole, the round, or the shot that you just played. Uh, Eliminate the results, stay in the process of what I have to do to execute now, I'll stay focused, mm. 
I won't let the other stuff bother me also enhances my focus more, and it enhances the ability to solve the problem that is at hand. Each and every shot is an opportunity to be successful uh, versus standing there, and oftentimes we hear players are worried about not being successful. Well, what if you are successful? Have a process. Stay engaged to what you want to do. Go try and do it. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you have an opportunity to be successful again, regardless of where that shot ended up. Again, well said, Jim. Um, you know, you're exactly right. And, and I think what, one of the things that really differentiates the, um, the pros that we see on television and our everyday amateur golfer is the ability that the pros have to focus while they're out there. They're focusing on the task at hand. They're not thinking about past holes. They're not thinking, uh, you know, they certainly may, um, you know, prior to the round may have a strategy. They may um, think about a, a hole or two ahead um, if they know that they're in a difficult situation. But it's very limited um, thought process. They're focusing on the shot at hand. They're saying, I'm in the moment. I need to focus on that. It doesn't matter what's happened, and I can't, uh, you know, what's happened in the past, I can't change that, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. So all I have is right now. So it's very important to be able to, to focus on that and to really um, not allow other, you know, things creep in your mind and particularly not allow yourself to be st- distracted. And I know that sometimes can be a difficult thing. I mean, we see that with the pros, uh, you know, cameras clicking in the background or unruly fans, you know, sometimes blurting things out. And that's a, that's a you know, a challenge that they have to face. Uh, but the everyday golfer has it much easier um, but for some reason still manages to get stymied and, and uh, is unable to focus uh, their best. So I think, you know, if we can learn to focus on that, uh, again, these are skills that are really interchangeable, both on the course and away from the course in your business life. If you're learning to focus on the task at hand, it's going to help you in both areas of your life. So uh, some great points, um, I think, on, on all levels all the way through. Um, we're going to switch discussions and we're going to get into um, talking about uh, really troubleshooting and talking about some specific things. Um, and I think what we're going to do here is uh, I'm going to give you an example of a variety of uh, things that are going to happen. And maybe uh, what we can do is first you can explain what we're referring to and what are some options on how to, to correct that. So we want to all hit, uh, uh, John, I'm coming back to you. So we, we want to hit uh, obviously some more solid shots and one of the things that we get uh, here often is um, casting in, in your golf swing. So how do we, uh, first off, what is casting? What does it mean? What's that term mean? And how do we stop that? What, what's a, a remedy for that uh, um, to, to be able to eliminate that in our golf swing? Well, this is probably one of the most common things that we as instructors see, and that is the early release of the club where you lose energy. And casting, the reason that the term is kind of like casting, like a fisherman casting, if, you're, if I'm standing there and I'm a right-handed player and I cast, a, I were to take a fishing rod and cast it kind of over my right shoulder, that release of the, of the hands up in the air, the energy of the rod would you know, send the, the weight and the lure out into the water. Uh, you do that in your golf swing and you have that early release, you want to be releasing down through the ball, not prior to hitting the ball. 95% of the time, it's because of the grip. 
And the, so the first thing that I do when I see um, uh, someone that has early release or casting, uh, whichever, those are the basically synonymous terms, um, the first thing I do is I check their grip. And I start with their left hand, and I make sure that they've got the V of their left hand pointing toward their right shoulder if they're a right-handed golfer. And then I make sure that the right hand V is also pointing to the right sh shoulder. I make sure that they're holding the club in the fingers and not in the palms of their hand. And so if you do that, then what you're going to do is you're going to square up the club face. And the most important thing that you need to, to understand about when you're casting, you're going to produce fat shots, thin shots. Your driver's going to tend to go to the right. You're going to lose a lot of distance. If you do hit it solid, you're going to have a really high ball flight where the ball kind of goes way up in the air and doesn't go anywhere. So um, when you strengthen that grip, all of a sudden, you're going to start hitting the ball more solid, and your ball is probably going to go left because most students who cast, uh, they're going to come a little bit more over the top. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to have a more of an outside-to-end swing path. Not all. Some will come more from the inside and cast and hit it thin, but, but most will come over the top. So, um, you know, learning how to get the, hold the club properly, that is the first thing that, that I look at. Um, and, and I think that that's the, the major reason why um, most uh, slicers and most, uh, you know, golfers, who, when they first learn the game, uh, they'll hit the ball to the right. They lose so much distance because of their grip and because of that early release. Uh, again, some great points. Um, you know, I think it's important that um, we understand the cause and obviously the effect it has on, on our swing. Um, before we can really address those areas. I think if, and you're exactly right, a lot of people do this, especially early on, um, you know, beginning golfers particularly have, this is a very common um, among many golfers, uh, especially first starting out before they understand uh, the golf swing a little bit better. And, and a lot of cases before they've even taken lessons or very early on in the lesson uh, part of it. Um, but I think that understanding really what causes a lot of these things part of the battle. And I think that as students, as, as they're working with us over time and developing uh, their skill and, and developing their, their game overall, if they understand what causes that, if it happens out in the golf course, if they know what causes it and they understand what the adjustments are that need to be made, um, then they're able to do that on their own. And I'm not suggesting when you're in the middle of a tournament or something to start messing around. But when you understand, if you're practicing or warming up and you see these things happening, um, if you understand what's causing it and why it's happening, it makes the process of getting back to a better swing that much easier. So I think when you understand things a little bit better right from the get-go, um, then I think it makes it easier to be resolving some of the issues. Um, but great, uh, great points. Um, Jim, this is an area that, you know, we've, we've heard, uh, we hear more often, I think, uh, from the pros, but I think we all get into this, and that is the golf slump. Um, and uh, we need a plan to get back on track. So, you know, whether you're a weekend warrior or you're playing on the PGA or LPGA Tour, um, every once in a while we, we, you know, get in a bit of a slump. And um, I know sometimes it's, it, it might necessarily be so much on the physical side as it is a, a, as equally on the mental side. But what do we do when we find ourselves in a bit of a slump? How do we turn things around and get back on track? Well, there's a, a, a couple things we can we can take a look at. Frequently what, what happens in a slump uh, is somebody goes immediately 
to their ability to hit the golf ball, their their technique and how to hit it. I uh, just read an article just recently about a player who uh, what they were talking about not hitting their golf ball very well, and they asked, you know, what are you going to do for your golf swing at this point? And the response was, and this was a tour player, and the response was, uh, I'm going to go play golf. And, and and the interviewer was kind of perplexed by that response that uh, you didn't hit it very well, but you're going to go play golf. <clears throat> and the, the, the player said, I have been doing this for a very long time. I'm pretty good at what I do in terms of technique. My ability to execute was off, and mm-hmm. I need to go execute. I don't need to go reinvent what I have learned over the last 25 years of playing the game of golf. And so sometimes what we do is we approach the fix to a slump with the wrong fix. Uh, Yes, it could be technique, and we need to go see our coach, and we need to work with them to understand how or what maybe is causing a a repeating uh, problem with with my ball flight. Um, But most importantly, I need to be able to identify in that ball flight what is causing that so I can work on it. And we need fresh look at how we work on it. Uh, maybe I've done a particular drill for a long time uh, for a, a, a part of my golf swing. And, and sometimes that drill doesn't, isn't as effective as time progresses, so I need a different drill. Uh, so it's important to go to your coach and, and, and have a look at it and, 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 and work on it. But it's also very important to go out there and play the game and, and work on through it and, and realize that your expectations may need to be a little bit different as I'm struggling. But going back again to not worrying about the result, but worrying about the process, going to the task at hand. And by getting the task at hand and the, and the process uh, working, times our technique and our ability to play come around in and of itself. So uh, I think the slumps get uh, exacerbated because we get so focused on what's my score? Uh, Why didn't I score the way I wanted to? Well, you didn't score the way you wanted to because the little things that give you that good score, you didn't do. You need to stay focused in process. This is what I have to do right now, right here in this situation. And if you stay there and you play the game long enough, that technique's going to work for you. Now, if I'm a, a newer player in that sort and I'm slumping, maybe there's more time spent on technique to get it back. But keep playing the game and keep in the process. And, and oftentimes it, things work out for you uh, by, by doing that. You know, there's some really great points that you raise here that I, I want to really emphasize. And one of the first ones, oops, one of the first ones that you said um, is, you know, the, the players are very quick, and I'm not talking about the, the tour players, but just the average golfer is very quick to automatically assume that there's a, a swing issue. Uh, it may not be that. Um, you know, they're monkeying with their grip all of a sudden, uh, or they're changing their their stance. Um, assuming that that's causing the problem. And I like your, 
you know, your, your example where, you know, a tour player said, I'm going to get back out there because I've been working on these things for so long. I know what my swing can do. I know how to work everything. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, but there is something that needs to be addressed. And then also going back to your coach or your teacher professional that you've been working with is let them get a fresh set of eyes and let them look at and see what's going on. Um, they may be seeing something that you're not, but to just arbitrarily start changing, uh, which we see so many recreational golfers do, just all of a sudden going out there and, and, and changing their grip and changing this and that, moving the ball all around. And the next thing you know, they've taken what might be an, an honest error um, or a unique situation. Now they've amplified it even that much more because they've now changed so many things. Or a lot of times what they've done is maybe they've been working on uh, a new grip or they've been working on um, you know better posture and all of a sudden, because things aren't going the way they want, they automatically default to old bad habits um, because it's comfortable for them. It's something they know and they're familiar with. They've been doing it that way for years. So I think it's very, very important to isolate. And the only way you can do that is obviously to be out in the golf course, but you need to get with your golf professional, especially for the amateurs, and let them take a look and see if they can isolate what the problem is before you start making uh, drastic changes and making what could be a very easy fix into a much more complicated. So some great points that you raised, and I just really wanted to, to sort of put an, uh, a point on, on some of those issues. Um, John, this is one that we hear, I mean, to the point of nausea, I think, <laughs> in the teaching profession, and that is, you know, adding distance, adding yardage. Um, you know, there's a lot of theories out there, you know, rip it and rip it and, and that sort of thing. But really, there's some realistic ways. If you want to get more distance, uh, particularly out of your driver, uh, there's certain things that you need to do. Um, let's talk about a few of them. Well, this is probably, like you said, one of the top two, two, two to three things that we as instructors hear when students come to us, especially with the driver. Um, you know, the first thing that I want to talk about, you know, is the tee height, making sure the tee the ball high enough. That is one thing that you, you want to make sure because you're trying to catch the ball on the upswing. If you tee the ball real low, you're going to tend to hit down on the ball. You're going to tend to put more spin on the ball. Typically, that leads to a slice. Not always, but main, mostly for, for the average golfer. Um, making sure that you have a wide base so your feet are wide. I see a lot of students who come in who have real narrow stances, and they wonder why they don't hit the ball very far. You need a wide base. That allows you to make a, a fuller turn, get, get the club back more. Those are things. But, but honestly, I think uh, the thing that would help everyone – uh, get more distance is to get in better shape. Uh, if you are out of shape, um, if you uh, don't, do not have the flexibility, if you do not have the strength, if you do not have the core strength, uh, I don't care how many lessons you take, you're not going to get the maximum out of your potential. You might gain five yards, but if you're out of shape and you got in shape uh, and, you know, doing some golf fitness, doing going to someone who's TPI certified, I think is a great way to uh, really improve and, and get club head speed. That's what the uh, elite tour players are doing now on both tours, men, women, live, wherever. All these guys and gals are in fantastic shape. If you get in better shape, I think that is something that would help help every golfer. Plus, your quality of life is going to be better. So golf shape uh, is, is one thing. And then the last thing is your equipment. I would encourage everyone uh, to go to your local PGA golf professional and uh, at least at a bare minimum, do a driver fitting. 
Now, ideally, you would like to do a fitting with all of your clubs. And, you know, if you buy a new set of irons and you've been fit within the last uh, five to ten years, you should be fine. But if you have not changed your driver in the last five to ten years, you need to really upgrade your driver and your equipment from that standpoint. Because as we get older, you know, a lot of times I have this with some of my students, they're 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 you know reaching the close you know they're in their up high 70s low 80s as far as their age and they're using men's regular flex and I'm like it's time to go to a senior flex it's time to start you know going with the softer flex or on the other hand you get somebody that's maybe I get you know I'll get a 35 or 40 year old who's playing the game and they're playing with shafts that are way too weak for them and they're hitting it all over the place so you know I'm telling them hey you need to go to something stronger so getting a, a, a getting a fitting done with your driver is a must. You know, I, I think if you want to get the most out of uh, your driver and getting the most distance on the course. Again, some great uh, great points, John. You know, you're you're right. Number one, you've got to get in better shape, and that doesn't mean you have to you know get into the gym and become a bodybuilder or that sort of thing. Sometimes that can be detrimental actually uh, to becoming a good golfer if you bulking up and, and getting too much muscle on there, uh, sometimes that that's, uh, has an adverse effect in, in the golf swing. Um, but you, you've definitely got to be in shape. And if you're, you know, if, uh, and, and it's not just so much just the physical part um, of, of looking good and, and strengthening in that, but it's also about stamina. I mean, I've seen many golfers, of, even young golfers, that, you know, come the turn are starting to um, lose a little steam because they don't have energy. Now, I know that's not always... Uh, tied to the physical, sometimes it's nutritional. They're not eating the best food that's giving them that, that sustained energy. So there's things that, a lot of things that you have to look at. Uh, but also, to the equipment, as you touched on as well, uh, you, you've got to look at the equipment. If you want to add those extra yards, you've got to take a look at the equipment and make sure that you're not using your grandfather's equipment. Um, it's nice to, to be nostalgic and to be able to say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm hitting my grandfather's driver, but it might be 35 years old. And uh, the shaft is not necessarily up to speed, and and uh, if you're just out, you know, hacking around, that might be fine. And and you're somebody that likes to, um, you know, do that. But if you really want to improve the game, you got to make sure you're playing with the right equipment as well. So some great points, John, uh, that you touched on here. Um, Jim, this is one too that you don't really hear a lot being talked about uh, with golfers, but I think it's one um, that certainly uh, needs to be addressed. And that is, um, we hear the term sort of deceleration in the golf swing. Um, what's typically causing that, and how do we help a golfer that finds themselves? We see that particularly in the short game. Um, you know, they're maybe uh, chipping onto the green, and you know they take a good backswing, but they feel that they've gone a little too far, and all of a sudden they decelerate. So, what's causing that, and what can we do to help people uh, sort of eliminate that from their golf swing? Because that can really cause a lot of problems. And we can touch on a few of them. Well. Uh... I find deceleration in the in the golf swing, whether it's a full swing or the short game, it's more of the the view of how the player sees they need to get the golf ball into the air. And, and frequently what they're seeing is they feel as though they have to get, and I hear this all the time, they have to get under the ball to get it into the air. And what that causes is it actually causes the body stop rotating through the shot and it gets in a position where the 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 torso is leaning a little bit away from the target and they're trying to lift the golf ball into the air 
very common in the short game in that we're now trying to hit a very short shot, and uh, they feel as though if their body rotates through to a complete finish, that the golf ball will go too far. And so they end up with a large backswing. Uh, they come back to the golf ball and say to themselves internally, huh, I don't want this to go too far. So they don't allow the, the, the hips and the lower body to rotate through, and they just kind of give the give a swing of the arms at the golf ball. So the, the deceleration is corrected by one in, in the short game in particular, that the backswing isn't too large, so that as they're swinging the arms down, the body can rotate through to face the target and give a place for the golf club to swing back to the inside in the through swing. So deceleration is more a matter of uh, a view of I need to lift the ball into the air, I need to get under the golf ball, versus let me let the arms do their job of swinging down to the golf ball. That's going to get to the bottom of the ball and then allow the body to continue to rotate through so the club will move on through to the finish. So short game-wise, shorten the backswing a little bit. Make sure that the body's rotating through as the arms are swinging down. Full swing, as the arms are swinging down, sure that we – get up off of that trail foot, up onto the toe, and get our body to rotate through to look at the shot. Uh, the deceleration is that, that lack of body finish in the golf swing. I think, um, you know, Nicholas used to talk about having good footwork, and I think you touched a little bit about that. And, and you know, really getting onto that left side for right-handed golfers and obviously vice versa for left-handed golfers, but... You know, a lot of times people are afraid. They decelerate because they, they're not confident uh, in, in the golf swing, and so they try to make adjustments mid-flight and uh, or mid-swing. And I, I think, you know, what I always say to people is, you know, if you're not practicing, if you're not getting out there and working on your game, um, when you get out in the golf course and you're faced with maybe – um, what typically would be a half wedge. Maybe it's not a full shot in. You've got to, you know, finesse a, a half wedge in there, and you're not practicing that golf swing. You know, I've got to, instead of hitting a 100-yard wedge shot, I've got to do a 50. And if you're not practicing that and you're not confident with how far and how much of a swing it takes to get you 50 yards for you, um, you're going to get up in the golf course, and you're not going to, and that's what ends up happening. They think, okay, well, I'm going to take this back, and oh, that's going to be too much, and they decelerate. So I think you have to get out there and you have to really practice a lot of different shots and, and to the point where you're comfortable and confident when you get on the golf course. But um, this is something I think that many people struggle with is we see that. It doesn't get talked about as much, uh, and thank you for, for some great points. Um, but deceleration is something that happens a lot more to many uh, amateur golfers um, than, than probably what they realize, and uh, you, you hit some, some great points right on the head. Um, John, Tiger Woods... Uh, this one I think is kind of an interesting, um, you know, he, he deemed this to be probably the hardest shot in golf. Uh, he was interviewed one time and uh, he was once asked uh, what was the hardest shot hit in, in golf. And his answer was a straight shot. Um, but many golfers, of course, struggle uh, with hitting the ball because maybe many of them slice or, 
uh, hook the ball and they're saying, God, if I could just, you know, hit a straight shot, I'd be happy. But straight shots are not necessarily um, as simple as what people make them out to be. So talk a little bit about that. What is he, what is Tiger? I mean, obviously I know you can't get in his head, but what is he really talking about here? What is he trying to say to the, to the average golfer out there when, when, uh, when he's saying, you know, uh, hitting a straight shot is, is uh, probably the hardest shot in golf. Well, what he's saying is basically it's easier it's easier to make a ball curve than it is to make it go straight. And there's a lot of I'll take this all the way to putting. You you'll hear a lot of tour players that that want to have break on a putt. They don't want to have a dead straight putt. They they would rather have a putt that has a little bit of right to left or a little bit of left to right, depending on uh, you know what they favor. Uh, I know for me, if, if you said you know John, you've got a four foot putt. To, to win the Masters, what would you want? I would want an uphill right to left. I wouldn't want an uphill straight, but I would want an uphill with a little bit of right to left. So that's just something that fits my eye, but it's easier to, to kind of get your stroke to go or your swing to go on a curve because you're swinging on an arc. You're not playing pool. You know, you're not uh, in a pool stick. You're trying to make the, the cue ball go straight. Uh, in, in golf, you're swinging at an arc, and you're swinging to the side of the golf ball. So it's much easier to make the ball curve one way or the other. Now the problem is, is the average golfer will have a two to three way miss. They'll hit, they'll miss it all different ways. They'll, they'll get on one hole and they'll miss it way to the left, and they'll go on the next hole and miss it way to the right. Whereas a tour player, basically, even if they're not swinging well, will play with a one way miss. So they're able to work the ball and maneuver the ball around the golf course because they can make the ball either fade or draw depending on the situation. When they get in trouble, they can hook it or slice it out of trouble to get back into the fairway. So, you know, in some ways I totally agree with that. I mean, if someone asked me the most difficult shot, I would say is the long bunker shot, but I don't have, you know, 15 majors and uh, 80 uh, tournaments or whatever he's won. So uh, if he feels like that's the most difficult shot in golf, then, then it probably is. But no one hits the ball perfectly straight. Uh, there's just uh, you, 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 if you really watch a ball fly through the air, it will tend to fall one way or the other. But uh, so if if I'm on a if if you're playing on a on a hole, and I've always found that the most difficult holes to play are straight holes, where you have like a 450 mm-hmm. yard hole that's just perfectly straight with maybe trouble on both sides. That is difficult because the hole doesn't set up really for a fade. It sets up or for a draw. It sets up for whatever you want to play it as. And so that can uh, be difficult because you have to make decisions if you're a better player. If you're a, you know, when it comes to playing on the golf course, my predominant, or, you know, the thing that I would tell the, the average student is, is you want to kind of play your ball flight. So if you're a fader of the ball, then you want to be up on the right-hand side of the box and you want to play that fade all the way down that straight hole forget about trying to make it go straight play the shot that you normally hit nine times out of ten if you draw the ball tee up on the left hand side of the tee box and play that draw all the way down that straight hole that's the way you're you're going to play your best golf but if you try to make the ball go straight what you start doing is you start guiding it you start using your arms uh, too much. You don't rotate like Jim was talking about. And rotation is your engine in the golf swing. That's where you want to get your power and consistency. So, uh, you know, those are things that, that will help the average golfer when they're playing and they're trying to hit a straight ball. Forget about trying to hit it straight. Play the shot that you normally do. 
and and or normally have and try to have a one-way miss and not a two-way miss. You'll do a lot better if you'll focus on getting rid of the two-way miss than trying to hit a perfectly straight shot. I think that's uh I think you I think you answered that very well. Um you're exactly right. I mean, if you look at most golf courses, uh typically they'll set up um you know, some holes will be favor more of a left to right uh uh ball flight and then others uh right to left and Obviously, one may fit uh, somebody's eye a little bit better. Uh, some are, are able to play both very confidently. I mean, there's a number of players on tour. Uh, uh, some that might, you know, Nicholas obviously favored uh, hitting a fade, but, uh, um, you know, if need be, he would, uh, you know, could hit a draw, but that was not his comfortable shot. So, obviously, he played those holes a little bit differently. But you're exactly right. A straight hole, it sounds like, uh, you know, that you'd be licking your chops, but it can be challenging for a lot of golfers that do, have a little more bend to the ball. So um, you have to really come down to how do you play that um, and, and you know, it becomes more of a strategy um, uh, issue, if you will, than, than just uh, trying to focus on hitting the ball perfectly straight because it's not going to happen. Most players do not hit. You know, it might seem relatively straight, but to do that time and time out, at some point um, you may need to hit a little bit of a curve on, on that ball. And so I think that's why some players tend to favor one over the other. Um, Jim, I think this is a, uh, an interesting question for you. Um, you know, we always hear, well, I'm, you know, I'm a slicer of the ball or I'm a hooker of the ball. Uh, and then there's a few individuals out there that really have problems with both. Um, doesn't matter wh- what the situation is. They get up there one minute, they're, you know, blocking it, pushing it, slicing it out to the right. And then the next time they're, you know, snap hooking it or whatever. And they're just a lot of inconsistency. So what's going on here? How, you know, if it's one way or the other, I mean, usually it might be a little easier fix, but when you've got a golfer that you're now faced with that's hitting all kinds of uh, shots uh, of inconsistency is the common theme, what's typically going on here? Well, uh, the, the challenge in – one of the challenges in golf is uh, with when the club is meeting the golf ball, there are two ingredients – uh, that that can truly affect the direction of the golf ball. And I'm saying this based on the fact that we're hitting it fairly close to the center of the club face. Because there's a third ingredient, and that's the uh, gear effect of whether it's on the toe or the heel. But let's stay with the idea that we're hitting the golf ball fairly in the center of the face. And typically what we see is uh, someone is is likely to slice the golf ball and their golf swings working. Uh, let's let's talk about a right-handed player here. Their golf swings working in the direction of left, so we would call that out to in. And the club face is looking to the right of that swing path. And and so that ball has the tendency to sw- start a bit to the left, curve to the right. And then there's that occasional situation where that club face has squared up to the direction they're swinging, and they see that golf ball go dead left in the direction that they were swinging the golf club. So it's not so much that they are, are truly an inconsistent swinger. It's, it's a matter of the alignment of the club face relative to the path. And so to address that, we need to uh, narrow the gap of the difference between the club face and the swing path and, and try to get that club face closer in the same direction as the swing path. And then 
we can adjust that swing path to get it in the proper direction. So often we react to the fact that the ball has sliced off to the right, and that intuitively says to us, well, if I can aim myself to the left or perhaps swing to the left, it might offset. And in actual fact, that's exacerbated the issue. So we have to try to align that club face in the direction that we're swinging it and then get the direction we're swinging it into the correct direction, which our our terminology would be from the inside working to the inside with the club face fairly square to that swing path. So oftentimes, very rarely have I seen someone slice it once and hook it the next time. They may slice it once and pull it the next time, or they may hook it mm. once and push it the next time. Uh, so it's, mm. it's, it's a rarity that they actually hook it one shot and slice it the next. Uh, so if we can get that club face and that swing path fairly close to each other, then we can get that swing path in the right direction. Yeah, again, great point. And I think, Jim, one of the other things uh, to keep in mind that often happens when people do struggle, whatever it may be, whether they're you know slicing or, or hooking the ball, uh, a lot of times we see players trying to make um, a lot of adjustments um, and, you know, sort of on the fly. Uh, maybe they're strengthening their grip up or they're weakening the grip or they're opening their stance a little more or they're aiming further left or what have you. And a lot of times they make um, you know, changes without really thinking it through. And again, you know, when you're out in the golf course, that's not the time to really make those changes. Um, you're there really to sort of play with the game you've got, um, unless it's a practice round um, and maybe, you know, you're, you're doing a playing lesson, then you can afford to, to work on some of those things. But, you know, when you're out there playing, you've got to sort of work with what you've got to, and then you can go back to the range and get together with your coach and say, hey, these are some things that I've, I've noticed out in the golf course. Um, but more often than not, I think, too, is that we often see players, um, when they do go one way or the other or have some inconsistent ball striking, they try to start making a lot of radical changes um, midstream. And that just, as I mentioned earlier in the show, sort of exacerbates uh, some of the issues. But um, great discussion tonight, guys. It's hard to believe, but that hour, at least I felt it kind of just flew right by. Uh, but some great uh, answers to the questions tonight, and as always, some uh, very thought-provoking uh, uh, answers, and hopefully the, the listeners uh, will take away some stuff uh, from that. And uh, for those of you maybe tuning in a little bit later uh, on uh, in this conversation, if you go back uh, a little bit later after the end of the show, the recorded version will be available. And at the end of this broadcast, I will give you the details and how you can go back and listen. But I want you to stick around because my special guest is going to be coming up here in a moment. But um, I want to thank you guys uh, for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. As always, I give you a moment to... Um, share any anything happening in your neck of the woods and also let the folks know the best way they can reach out. So we'll go in order. Uh, John, if you want to go first and then Jim. Well, thanks again, Ted, for having us on the show. As always, we appreciate the platform to be on and, and you did a great job. And Jim, I really enjoyed being on tonight's show with you as well. For the listeners out there, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, I invite you to please go to my website. It's deckergolf.com. Uh, so DeckerGolf.com, if you go to there, I have videos, uh, full swing, short game, uh, golf fitness, all kind of videos up there, um, and also information on my book and everything. You can follow, If you're on social media, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and I spell my first name J-O-N, so John Decker, or 
You can look up, uh, De- you know, DeckerGolf.com either way. Um, and then my book is Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon Audible. There's an Audible version of it as well. And, um, I, you know, I'm happy to say I'm writing for Golf Tips Magazine, and I feature Fairways to Heaven, and my golf instructional articles are on there. So for the listeners out there, um, I think, uh, you know, Golf Tips does a great job, and Ted does a great job of putting out good quality instruction. And so for I would recommend everyone going and, and uh, subscribing to that as well. And if you're interested in uh, having me come to your golf course or your church or your junior um, as, you know, awards banquet or something and doing uh, any uh, speaking, I, I'm available to do that. You can reach me again on DeckerGolf.com and uh, contact me through the website, and I'll be glad to come to your area. But thanks again, Ted. Always a pleasure, John. Ted, thank you. Jim, go ahead. Ted, thank you so much for having me. And, John, it, it sure was a pleasure to uh, be on the show with you. Uh love listening to, to what you had to say uh, and your words of wisdom about this great game. Uh, I can be reached at uh, jim at com or by phone at 407-460-20. And, again, thank you so much, Ted, for uh, for having me on the show. Well, thank you, guys, and thank you for your contributions to Golf Tips Magazine as well. It's very much appreciated, and uh, I know the the uh, uh, subscribers enjoy uh, getting their, their uh, magazines and, and uh, enjoy uh, reading the many articles and, and tips that uh, you guys uh, have provided uh, and, and put it into the magazine. So thank you for that as well. But until next time, have a great weekend, guys, and thank you for joining me on the Coach's Corner segment of uh, Golf Talk Live. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that was uh, Jim Endicott and John Decker joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. We're going to take a quick message uh, from Golf Tips Magazine, and then we'll be right back with tonight's special guest. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. And just a, a quick note uh, on uh, Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, it's available both in print and digital. You can get either or, or you can get both. So go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. And also makes, if you're a current subscriber, uh, it makes a great uh, gift. we got the holidays coming up here uh, in just a few months. Uh, giving a gift subscription is a great idea. So I hope you'll do that. Visit GolfTipsMag.com. All right, I'm very excited to have uh, tonight's guest back. He's been on the show numerous times. In fact, uh, I can't confirm this, but I'm going to have to check in my archives uh, after the show. But I think he's probably been one of the guests that has been on more than any other guest uh, over the years. He's been back many, many times. I enjoy our conversations, and he's been uh, a guest favorite uh, of mine for uh, the last several years. And uh, like I said, I think he's been on here uh, certainly close, if not uh, more than anybody else, but I appreciate it. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Dr. Bern Bernacki. He's a community-based 
uh, self-employed family physician for over 35 years who loves this uh, great game of golf. And uh, interestingly, he's uh, played this game in a variety of ways, including with uh, everything from hickory to uh, modern era shafts, uh, always playing, of course, the appropriate uh, period uh, golf ball. Uh, he's also been very active in youth development and certainly drug prevention activities. Uh, he uh, completed a leadership role uh, with the First Tee of Pittsburgh and serves as the uh, president of the Golf Heritage Society. And we're going to talk about uh, many things there and about their uh, national convention coming up in uh, just a little less than a month's time. So please welcome my very special guest back to Golf Talk Live, Dr. Vern Bernacki. Good evening, Vern. How are you? Ted, I am fantastic. Wow, what an intro. I hope I can live up to that, my friend. <laughs> you can. I, I have no doubt. I know you will. And, and you know, all, all kidding aside, you know, I, I'm serious. I, I got thinking about this, and I thought, you know, uh, I had you on, obviously, earlier in the year. Um, but you've been back several times, uh, you know, over the years. And I was trying, so I'm going to have to get the number, and, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll firm it up here. But I think it's at least six times that you've been on the show and I uh, love having you. It's always a great conversation and I always feel like I, I learned something new and, and hopefully uh, I know that, you, you know, that you'll enjoy it as well. But, um, but thank you for, for being my special guest again tonight. Well, thank you, Ted. I, I, um, I always enjoy being with you on your show and it's wonderful to follow your awesome line of guests, Jim and John in the coach's corner. That was fantastic. And uh, I just, uh, uh, enjoy the conversation, and I hope your audience enjoys you and I having such a good time as much as we do. <laughs> I I know they do. I know they do, and uh, that's why I'm happy to have you back. So we're we're going to talk about. I know you want to talk about the national convention coming up October 11th to 4th. Uh, it's going to be held at the Embassy Suites Hotel in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, and I believe it's the 52nd. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. We are 53 years old, and we missed the year because of COVID, so it's 52. Right. right. So we're going to talk about that in a few moments uh, and get into some of the specifics about that, because I know that that's uh, uh, something that you're you're looking forward to uh, to happening here, and hopefully the weather is uh, going to be good for you guys. Um, but I want to talk about, if we can, because there's, there's always new people tuning into the program, and I want them just to have a little bit of a background and understanding about the Gulf Heritage Society. So when and how did, did and I'm going to call it GHS, as, as you guys do, uh, just for simplicity, but, uh, of course, we're talking about the Gulf Heritage Society. Um, when did GHS begin? When and how did it begin? So in 1970, two gentlemen, a um, golf club, antique golf club and ball collector, Joe Murdoch from uh, Dayton area, um, and um, uh, he got together with a book collector uh, from Philadelphia area. And those two guys began correspondence, um, writing back and forth and decided, hey, wouldn't it be great if we started a society? So they did. And their correspondence became the basis of our now 53-year-old journal called Now the Golf. It was called the Bulletin when it was a real folksy back-and-forth thing, but now it's a formal, organized, uh, wonderful um, journal that we do quarterly, and it has uh, amazing content about collecting and auctions and history and people, places, and things in the game of golf, and it in itself is worth the price of our uh, membership. So how's that for explaining how we got started? That was perfect. 
And we're going to talk about membership as well. And, and I'm a member now uh, and uh, glad to be a part of it. And uh, I get the quarterly um, publication as well. And it's a, it's a great read. So for anybody that's not a member, you need to, uh, if for no other reason, just to get that, that publication that comes out quarterly. It's a lot of great information in there. Um, so And it's well worth, worth the, the membership. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So give us an idea, if you wouldn't mind, is, is what has been or what is the overall mission of GHS? What is your, your core mission of, of the Gulf Heritage Society? Ted, I'm going to give you and the audience two responses. Um, the one is the one everyone will understand. We love the game of golf. We love to get together and have fun around the game of golf. And we do that in a variety of ways. So uh, if you'll permit me, our, our formal mission statement reads like this. The Golf Heritage Society seeks to promote an appreciation for the history and the traditions of golf and to foster friendship among its enthusiasts worldwide, including golfers, writers, historians, and collectors of the game's artifacts and memorabilia. So, you know, we started as collectors, but we realized we had so many of these different kind of people who had their own interest in the game of golf, and they had their own types of collections and interests and knowledge of history, we decided it would be a better uh, name to call ourselves the Golf Heritage Society, acknowledging mm -hmm. the depth of the interest of all of our members and uh, participants. And I think that's a great, really a great move on, on GHS's um, behalf to be able to do that because you're right. You know, and, and there's certainly, obviously, the, the heritage and, and, and sort of the history of the game is, is certainly important. And I think it's, you know, it's important for not just, you know, the elite players who, who have been around for a while, you know, the Jack Nicholases, the, you know, the late Arnold Palmer, and that obviously were part of the history of the game. And obviously, there was many even before them. Um, but I think it's also interesting. Um, there are so many different genres now a part of this, as you mentioned, um, from an artistic standpoint and, and so on. Um, so it's not just the history, but there's other components now that have been added over the years. And I think it makes for a well-rounded society to be able to offer different perspectives and to be able to offer uh, to its membership and, and future potential members um, uh, a, a variety of different options for them to, to get excited about, correct? No, it's true, Ted. Um, you know, the, the objectives um, that we have listed is hosting regional and national meetings to facilitate that fellowship and collaboration, uh, creating opportunities to share knowledge and exchange those golf artifacts and memorabilia. So, you know, sometimes we get together to play golf. Sometimes we get together to talk about, you know, our, our collections of, you know, and there are subgroups forming. And in the coming year, uh, we're going to uh, go further with our use of social media, Facebook, and what have you, to organize our uh, groups of folks who have uh, special interests, let's say in uh, golf architecture or golf art um, and landscapes and those kinds of things, put these folks together to start to exchange both information, um, knowledge, elevate the knowledge of the new person, and also um, uh, expand their appreciation for connecting those artifacts uh, to the history of the game of golf. If you think about it, every single artifact has its own stories. What is it? Where did it come from? Why is it important? And what does it represent? And these artifacts almost speak out loud telling your story. And we're proud of saying that 
our members um, know the stories of, of these artifacts and bring the history of the game of golf alive. It's a lot of fun. I know, um, Bern, that you had uh, many opportunities to talk to, uh, you know, individuals of a variety of different ages and, and so forth about um, GHS. Um, and, and when you think back, to some of the, the questions, I, I, you know, you've taken questions over the years from, from obviously uh, um, some of the participants in some of these discussions. What has been some of the, um, you know, I guess feedback as far as what people didn't know about the game of golf until they, they listened to that conversation? What's some of the that you get is, you know, I didn't know that about golf or, you know, I, I never realized that the golf was played that way. What is some of the, the, the common responses that you get when, when you have these uh, yeah, it's a wonderful question, and it's unfortunate that we only have, what did you say, two hours? Uh, <laughs> uh, the, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> but things, two things come up a lot. Um, uh, one, uh, w- when I was in uh, uh, Scotland uh, with my good friend Pete Georgity and, uh, and the group of golf writers, I was sort of a tag along and they were sharing um, uh, new publications coming up. And one gentleman wrote a book called uh, The Short Game of Golf. And he was, you know, I don't even know if it's yet published, but he was working on it. And he was telling us the story, Um, you know, like we in the United States really adore baseball and football. Well, we play those games on uh, whatever turf we have, you know, wiffle ball uh, Mm. and stickball in the back alley. And when the golf ball, um, the gutty ball was formed and everybody started to whack it around with whatever golf club they had or could get their hands on, everybody in Scotland embraced this game and they had their own short uh, golf game. They had one or two holes in their yard. And then there was, of course, continuing the formal golf courses, mostly occupied by the wealthy. But that's why Scotland was called the home of golf, um, because all mm-hmm. these folks in the game whacking around the gutty ball with whatever golf club that they could fashion or purchase. Uh, it was it was a great revelation to me when I heard this, and it just made so much sense. But these people, the Scots, in, embraced the game. Uh, because of um, the the change in the golf ball from the feathery ball, which no one could really afford uh, except the wealthy, right. to all that they could make themselves, melt it down, cook it down, shape it, and bang it around in the short spaces that they had. That was one of the most exciting and interesting stories that, that I like to share. And, and, and another, again, it, it, go ahead. Yep, please go ahead. Yeah, the the other one is the evolution of the ball itself. So when I, um, in May, I had the opportunity to um, uh, visit with some of our young people at the first tee, and they were having just a regular lesson. And, you know, the the, uh, Sunday before, the day before was um, um, golf, um, uh, hickory golf, world hickory golf day. And I decided to go up to the Muni where we have the first tee Pittsburgh, and you know, go hang out, and, and the um, uh, the instructors were actually working and with the youngsters, and there was a, a woman uh, a coach, uh, Coach Liz, 
and, and I met her for the first time, and I saw her before the, the lesson. I said, hey, would it be okay if I talked a little bit of golf history to the young ladies that you have? And she had uh, 11 ladies there. So she said, sure, of course. So I usually keep um, a few golf balls in my pocket uh, or in my bag, and I had a, um, a chunk of uh, gutta percha, that's Malaysian rubber, unformed. Mm-hmm. Then I had a one formed uh, and pressed into a, a mold, but not trimmed. It looked like Saturn. And then I had one that mm-hmm. was trimmed. and So I, I said, I'm going to give these to the gals and see if they can figure this out. Oh, my gosh, what was supposed to be a five-minute uh, interaction, they asked questions for darn near an hour. And Coach Liz, she just loved it. Said, I learned so much. We had so much fun. It was a great time. So there you go. You know, and that that's the thing is I think if 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 people really understood the history and, and it's unfortunate that, you know, for the most part, if you ask people uh, that have never played this game before, um, they'll refer to what they see on television. Of course, the tours are, are and, and again, through through heavy marketing and that that's their perception of the game. But they really don't understand uh, the true history of the game and how it sort of got to where it is and and some of the, you know, inventions along the way that have changed the game uh, from early development of, of the golf ball, uh, as you mentioned, with, with feathers and then, you know, using different rubber compounds and so forth. But um, people really don't understand that. They only sort of get a, 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 a very minimal view of what golf is, and that's what we see on television. So there's so much more to it. And, you know, this brings me to the point, you know, with a, a, a GHS or Golf Heritage Society membership, um, is this open to anybody? Um, and what's included with that membership? Because if somebody's listening to the show and is thinking about maybe, you know, that might be something that would be of interest to me. Um, am I able to join? And if so, what, what's involved? What's included with, with the membership? Of course, Ed, yes. Um, um, everyone uh, who loves the game of golf is invited. Uh, and this is young or old, male or female, any um, background uh, whatsoever is welcome. And, you know, the best uh, way that I could point you in the right direction is our website, which is golfheritage.org. And when you open golfheritage.org, you learn a little bit about us, the homepage, um, who we are, um, and uh, what our people do. Uh, And you get a a lot of flavor for the kinds of things we do. Um, And, you know, the, the groups of collectors or interest groups we're now calling them uh, because you know you have the people who come uh, from the architecture and the core superintendents Um, these folks um, are incredible historians Um, they understand the ground um, and they they nurture the golf courses we play on and they know a lot about who played what um, important event uh, when and where, and it's so much fun to welcome them into our fold. Uh, you know, it's not just collectors and players. Um, it's it's everybody who loves the game of golf at golfheritage.org. Our dues are Perfect. $50. We're keeping mm-hmm. our dues the same through the end of the year. Um, costs have gone up a little bit. Our production, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, described to you the golf, uh, it's it's now mostly 40 pages. 
when it was the bulletin, mm-hmm. it was a rack of two or three or four pages, black and white, kind of Xeroxed. And now we have a professionally produced distributed publication that will engage you and educate you and elevate your interest in the game. So I assure your listeners that um, this is an opportunity for them to um, really uh, understand and appreciate the game in in a much broader and deeper way. And as you mentioned, you know, the Golf Heritage Society is not just solely about the history of the game, but there's so many other opportunities there um, for a variety of different genres to get involved. So, you know, if you're somebody that's, uh, you know, maybe an artist uh, or, or what have you, and, you know, there's things that maybe you'd like to share with the organization as well, there's ways that you can get involved with that. And that all, all of the information can be available. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Ted, if I may say, you know, the, the benefits – um, really have expanded in the last several years. You know, when we had COVID, it was really difficult and unfortunate uh, for us to be unable to travel and come together locally, regionally. Uh, but, you know, we kind of reinvented ourselves. Our board uh, started to get together uh, with a Zoom call and use that technology. Then we got the idea to create a series uh, for our members to invite notables uh um you know someone that comes to mind uh is bobby jones the fourth and we had a Mm -hmm. one-hour interview uh with mr jones the fourth and he told stories of what it was like to be the grandson of and what happened Mm -hmm. at at recollection as dad dad got older uh grandfather got older and uh retired from the game and you know, what went on in Augusta and how the family was treated. And it was fascinating, fascinating who ran the show. So we we have um, probably now 20 of those interviews that we do on Zoom. We keep them in an archive available to our um, our members to go and enjoy at their leisure. Another one that I just love is Ron Lucas. Ron Lucas was a PGA pro. Interesting story. He was dropped off at Latrobe Country Club because he was from Latrobe, Pennsylvania, home of Arnold Palmer. And his dad Mm -hmm. said, youngster, I want you to make some money caddying. So when he got out of the car, he had a limp because he had a mild uh, case of polio. Deacon Palmer, Arnold Palmer's dad, saw him and said, kid, come over here. And he said, you had polio, didn't you? And he said, yes, sir, I did, but I can do this job. He says, that's the attitude. He says, I'm going to uh, help you learn the game, learn to be a great caddy, and we'll see where it goes. That youngster, Ron Lucas, became a golf professional and the golf professional at Latrobe Country Club working for Arnold Palmer and family. Wow. So, you know, fascinating stories that, that we come across. Ron told a lot of his stories um, regarding the generosity of the Palmer family and foundation and uh, Arnold and Deacon Palmer and Winnie and their foundation uh, in its formation. Fascinating stuff that you just won't find in books or magazines. These are members. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and what a great story to share as well, um, especially, you know, uh, about Mr. Palmer and, and his family and, and uh, how they reached out and helped so many people over the years and, and Ron obviously was was a benefactor of, of that uh, generosity. And, you know, you're right. This is things that you can get um, 
available to becoming a member of the Golf Heritage Society. And, and again, we'll give that information again uh, a little bit later on. Um, so let's get on to the schedule. Uh, as you mentioned, because of the one year with COVID, um, even though it's been around 53 years, this is going to be technically um, your 52nd national convention. So uh, which is taking place this October, just in, in a few short weeks, uh, 11th to the 14th in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, and it's going to be held at the Embassy Suites Hotel. Um, first off, what is the purpose of the convention? And is the convention open to anyone for, to attend? Do you have to be a member of the GHS, or is it open to general public? There are there are different parts of this, and let me run through them. We like to get together mm-hmm. and play golf. Um, we will play a, um, a warm-up. It's called the traditionally it's called the warm-up hickory event. But people come and play hickory for the first time. They'll play scramble. Some of the guys like to practice because the next day we're going to have our formal tournament, both hickory and classic club and modern club divisions. So we get together on the the Wednesday and uh, play golf and of course tell stories. We have a tradition at our main hotel called room trading, and at the end of the week we'll have a giant get together with all these golf collectibles of every imaginable type: balls, clubs, books, um, you know, print material, ceramics, artwork, you name it. It'll be there, but. The people who are bringing these materials for the trade show have them stored in their hotel room, and we bounce um, from room to room, seeing our friends, interacting, um, and some folks like to build their collections and make the, the deal before that item gets to the trade show. So there are shoppers, and there are people going around to learn more about uh, uh, collecting a certain thing. And that's one of the beauties of the fellowship, the knowledge base, but also the willingness to share and educate and bring a collector, uh, a new person along uh, to understand the history and the significance of the collections that they have. It is so much fun. So room trading is part of our tradition. We have a formal educational session. And um, we will, uh, this year, um, we will talk about the history of the driver. And we have Mm -hmm. um, some of our members who are really, um, you know, uh, focused on uh, the history and the clubs and the development, and they put on a fabulous educational. That is for members. That is part of the registration that our members pay. The end of the week um, uh, trade show, Ed, is open to the public and free, and we welcome the world to come and see, learn if they're collectors or want to kind of learn about what do people collect. It could be simple things like tees uh, and scorecards and pencils or high-end things like trophies, medals that have their own significance of history and incredible uh, dollar and economic value. So we have everything in between, and uh, the trade show is that. We will have the Friday night, the 13th, uh, we will have our um, banquet, Hall of Fame induction, and we have just a wonderful uh, slate of inductees uh, to our Hall of Fame uh, this year. It will be really great for us to uh, honor these individuals. And also I noticed, too, yeah, you've got a lot of great uh, things happening on that throughout the, those few days. 
Uh, and I also noticed too, uh, part of this year at this year's convention, you're going to be honoring two of Lexington's own uh, accomplished uh, amateur player uh, Marion Miley and uh, tour player Gabe Brewer. Tell us a little bit about that. And now, is this something? First off, is this something when you uh, have it at uh, you know at the various locations that you try to uh, seek out some local uh, talent, if you will, in the golf industry and try to uh, you know honor them there, or is this something that's new? No, that's that's a tradition of ours, and you know it's a really uh, good uh, lead-in, uh, Ted, because we partner with USGA, uh, and they traditionally attend our meeting and enhance our meeting by uh, bringing something of uh, their treasure trove, uh, both uh, collectibles uh, and educationals um, to to talk about. Last year, we were in Indianapolis, so um, the uh, museum curators uh, came and, and brought um, items that were um, in their uh, collection and museum uh, that spoke to the history of Indiana golf. This year, we will be, of course, in the great state of Kentucky, home of uh, Lexington, home of uh, Gay Brewer, uh, winner mm-hmm. of a master, and uh, his uh, caddy, will be uh, there and present and uh, making the presentation um, uh, to the, uh, to the um, uh, membership talking about his uh, recollections of working with Gay Brewer and that very uh, special uh, master's win. And, of course, we'll have tons of Gay Brewer uh, memorabilia uh, for show and sale. Uh, so that will be great fun. And, yes, it's a tradition for us to try to honor um, the host uh, state and city wherever we can. And people may or may not know about Marion Miley, M-I-L-E-Y, a brilliant female um, uh, amateur turned professional whose life was ended quite tragically uh, early in her career as she and her mom were at the Lexington Country Club as it was broken into for a, uh, a probable robbery, and it turned into a fight scene and a double murder. Uh, it was just no. a horrible thing. The woman who wrote the book, The Murder of Marion Miley, Beverly Bell, uh, will be with us um, on the um, Thursday, uh, I believe that's the um, uh, the 12th. Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll be at Lexington Country Club for a, a gathering um, and interaction to celebrate Lexington golf and Kentucky golf, and um, it will be great fun uh, to um, uh, uh, enjoy that history. But sadly, uh, Beverly Bell will, uh, again, uh, share some of the intimate uh, details of the story on the book that she wrote um, that happened right mm-hmm. there on that site. So, yes, it'll be a... A, a real tribute to the to the state of Kentucky golf. If somebody was attending for, the, say, the first time, maybe they've never attended, um, what could they do or how could they participate to really get most of the experience? If they want to come and obviously they want to learn more, uh, not just about GHS, but about uh, the history of golf and, and so forth, there's obviously a lot of opportunities. If they were a first-time attendee, what would you recommend that they um, – participate or certainly invest some time in to really get an overall uh, experience of, of the uh, of the national convention great question 
Ted, I would love it if a lot of your uh, listeners tonight would go online and learn a little bit about us and the organization and the convention um, um, map uh, map out like we were talking about it. Uh, if they joined, uh, they would be able to be welcomed right into the educational sessions uh, that we will have, and, and it's sort of a two-day thing uh, for that. Uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, of course, uh, people can come to the hotel and participate in the room trading without registering for the convention at all. Uh, but as a registered member, you're welcome to participate in the golf formally uh, for the competition and or uh, get to know you scramble golf with, you know, Hickory or uh, Classic Club if it's a first time for you. And you'll be matched up with people who are just delighted to um, show you the ropes, so to speak. So uh, those um, opportunities exist for people who come and sign up as members. Of course, um, uh, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame is um, uh, dinner is uh, again part of the um, uh, membership uh, and registration um, uh, price. Uh, the trade show on all day on the Saturday there at the hotel is wide open, free to the public, and we welcome invite uh, people who are not yet ready to commit to the organization, come look and see. And we will have a, a table to welcome and explain about the organization, introduce uh, you to folks where you may have an interest. Uh, for example, Ted comes in and says, you know, I, I have a few golf pencils. Who in the room can tell me about the top 100 golf courses in the world and in the United States and in every state and, and let me know if I have the right uh, – um, start to get my pencil collection, and where can I find more? Boom, he's over there. Um, and we, we do that all day long uh, to match people up. Uh, and they can uh, come and shop and spend money and expand a, um, a uh, collection that they are building, or they can um, just learn and kind of take it all in and, and just enjoy the, the breadth of the, of the game of golf and its many aspects. What about if somebody from the other side wanted to participate, as an example, in the annual trade show? How would they go about doing it? If they're they maybe a collector and, and uh, you know, wanted to participate in that, is there any special requirements for them? It's another great question. I think if you um, go online and reach out to us uh, or give us a call, um, uh, you know, through the, uh, through the society, uh, we will find a way to get you there and register you for a uh, table uh, if you have collectibles and want to um, um, liquidate your uh, or share your uh, your collection. And we see that. We have people whose families uh, someone has passed on and these collectibles remain in the family. So um, the best thing to do is reach out to us and um, we will find a way to assist you. Sometimes that's done at the convention and sometimes we, you know, find a way to, to uh, pair you up with uh, someone in that region where you live. Um, and um, we, we, can, we can help out. We can, uh, we can make ourselves um, available. Uh, we, we like it when um, these are our, our members but we're very um, open to uh, helping folks because <clears throat> their families had been members for long periods of time. So there's a lot of ways that we slice and dice it, but we're there to make friends and uh, develop uh, fellowship through the game of golf. Um, I think well, I, I, think can I can give you a 
Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I think I can give a telephone number. Our administrative coordinator uh, for membership services uh, is Terry Petrucelli. Terry uh, also works with me in my medical office, and the phone that we use to um, for the Golf Heritage Society is 281-404-4643. I'll repeat that, 281-404-4643. That's Terry Petrucelli. And Terry fields all kinds of phone calls for um, from our members uh, to re-up on their membership to uh, people who want to know more about the organization, and we uh, put you in touch with the right person the best we can. Well, it sounds great. Uh, you know, you provided uh, a lot of information, um, and I think that the best way for people to really appreciate, you know, what you're talking about here tonight is to certainly visit the website, which is golfheritage.org, uh, O-R-G, um, all of the information, including uh, the upcoming uh, national convention, which is taking place, as I mentioned, October 11th to the 14th, uh, being held uh, at the Embassy Suite Hotel in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, you can certainly uh, register and, and partake in a lot of uh, different functions that are going on. So I strongly urge everybody to visit the website uh, tonight uh, when we finish the broadcast here in, in momentarily, uh, golfheritage.org. Um, I want to also just touch on something real, real quick here, if we can, and and that is obviously any good organization um, or or special uh, function uh, certainly relies on uh, certainly sponsors and and those that give, uh, whether it be financially or of their time. Is there any particular? I know you probably can't list them all, but is there anyone particular that you'd like to thank for all of their uh, contributions uh, towards this uh, upcoming uh, convention, any sponsors that you want to recognize at the time? Yes, there are. Um, uh, a long-time uh, close sponsor is um, the Golf Auction. Um, they're an auction house that has been very friendly to us. Uh, there are several uh, golf auction houses that we work with to help our uh, members and their families um, uh, distribute uh, collectibles uh, when it's the right time to pass them on. Uh, but in particular, the golf auction has been a, a, a very good friend. We have uh, started something new uh, in the last two years to find connections to those golf courses that you cannot play unless you have a uh, wonderful opportunity. Uh, we have had auctions uh, where Marion Golf Course and Oakmont Golf Course and several others that we have lined up through the generosity of a member uh, and the friendship of the golf auction will uh, help us raise money for the Golf Heritage Society. And this has been very helpful for us. Uh, we have our membership. We have some advertising in our magazine. Uh, but these other revenue streams sustain us. They're important. Uh, and for an individual to bid on and, and be able to take uh, a two more friends or three more friends and play golf, for example, with Bob Ford, who is the announcer for the U.S. Open in perpetuity because he's the past golf professional at Oakmont and Seminole and a dear friend of the uh, um, First Tee Pittsburgh. These are phenomenal. Bob hosted that group. 
uh, took them to lunch toward the Oakmont Clubhouse, and they played golf. So um, these are opportunities that our members have, um, and through the friendship of the, you know, the uh, company, the, the golf auction, helping us do this really at their cost, uh, that, that maximizes our opportunity to sustain the Golf Heritage Society and keep our membership costs as low as possible. Uh, the other uh, one opportunity that we had this year was to uh, find a, uh, uh, a first major sponsor um, for our publication, The Golf. And um, through an interesting set of circumstances, uh, the gentleman who developed Bandon Dunes Golf up there in Oregon, Michael Kaiser, he is a um, uh, wonderful uh, entrepreneur, historian, and lover of the game of golf. And his development of these golf courses um, became um, a passion of one of our board members, Tabor Dale, who wrote um, uh, about the book that Michael Kaiser wrote. And she reached out to him to ask him if um, he wouldn't uh, consider um, becoming a sponsor for the Golf Heritage Society. Well, he took the packet that Taba and our team sent him, and he called her. He said, I want to be a member today. I want to be a sponsor. So on the back cover of our latest issue of our journal, The Golf, which just came out yesterday, I got it in the mail, is this fabulous full-page picture of Bandon Dunes, a uh, couple holes that I haven't visited yet, but I will. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's just a one tribute uh, to Michael Kaiser and his uh, wonderful uh, team, Dream Golf. So I want to reach out and thank Michael uh, publicly uh, and their team and encourage everybody to um, learn about his book and his creations of golf uh, courses that we all should uh, go and play. Fantastic. Um, just to remind everybody, of course, we're talking about the upcoming uh, Golf Heritage Society National Convention, which is taking place October 11th to 14th, uh, being held at the Embassy Suites Hotel in Lexington, Kentucky. Whether you're from uh, the area or you're just passing through, it's a great opportunity to learn a little bit more uh, about the history of the game and partake in many of the different activities going on. And it's a, probably a good idea, especially at a very uh, affordable price of just $50 for an annual membership uh, to join uh, the Golf Heritage Society. Uh, and you can do that by visiting the website, golfheritage.org. All of the information there is including uh, more details about the national upcoming national convention and, of course, other events that are uh, going to be taking place uh, throughout the rest of the season. But a lot of good information there, uh, some great contact information. If you want to learn more, uh, again, visit uh, golfheritage.org, and all of the details are there. But, um, uh, Vern, I, I just want to say once again, thank you very much uh, for all that you're doing to help really uh, foster um, believe it or not, the growth of the game, because uh, really to understand the growth of the game, you have to understand where its roots began. And uh, you at, at GHS do a great job in, in getting the information out there. And I think more people that get involved um, and become members, um, that word is going to even spread that much further. But I want to wish you all the best at this year's convention. And uh, I know it's going to be successful. And 
um, I appreciate you taking time uh, spending with me here on Golf Talk Live. It's always a pleasure, and I look forward to you coming back again and joining me in the future podcast. Ted, thank you very much. We love the modern game and everything that preceded it. So we're all about appreciating it, and uh, the opportunity to speak with you and your audience once again is a treasure. Thank you again, my friend. Take care and be well. You too as well. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. All right, uh, tonight's special guest, Dr. Bern Bernacki, president of the Golf Heritage Society. Uh, you can learn a little bit about him, too, if you uh, visit the website. But, again, uh, we're talking a little bit about um, the uh, beginnings of GHS and really what their overall mission has been and, obviously, the opportunity for you, the listeners, or anybody out there that uh, has a, a strong interest uh, to learn about many of the, the beginnings uh, of, of the game uh, Many, many people, including myself, there's a lot of things that I still uh, don't know. I've learned a little bit along the way, but uh, there's so many things. And I think it's important uh, to really understand uh, how golf uh, got its beginning and, and how it's evolved over the years and how it's become really uh, a game for everybody to play. It doesn't matter who you are or what your background is. There are opportunities there. You just have to know where to look for them. And uh, the Golf Heritage Society is a great place to start. Uh, their national convention, as I mentioned, uh, again, is October 11th to the 14th at the Embassy Suites Hotel in Lexington, Kentucky. So if you're going to be passing through Kentucky and uh, or planning to stay there, maybe you're taking a, a short trip up that area, this might be something that you might want to consider uh, adding to the bucket list. And there's a lot of other great uh, opportunities in the area to, to visit, do other things that are available, uh, other uh, uh, things that you can do while you're there too. But uh, this is something, if you're interested in the game and learning more about it, you can. Uh, it's open essentially really to anybody. Uh, again, go to golfheritage.org uh, to learn more and to uh, uh, to be able to understand uh, the society that much more. Um, again, I want to thank uh, my earlier guests, John Decker and Jim Endicott, for joining me on uh, Coach's Corner Panel. Thank you guys for doing a great job always. And uh, once again, a very special thank you to tonight's uh, uh, um, Interview guest, Dr. Bern Bernanke, president of the Golf Heritage Society. On that note, I want to thank everybody for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. I hope you enjoyed this evening's broadcast, and I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.